Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 20, which is titled Full Moon, Saturday Night. The episode aired on March 30th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week, 25 years ago? Oh boy, this is a flush one. We've got plenty to talk about today. First off, the U.S. approves use of the chickenpox vaccine. It was previously approved in 1988 by Japan and Korea. Vaccinate your children, guys. Vaccinate your fucking kids. We are a pro-vaccine podcast here, given our medical topic. Vaccinate your children. (laughs) Just do it. Mississippi legislature formally votes to abolish slavery and ratify the 13th Amendment. This would not become official until 2013, though. I'm, uh, my eyebrow is raised very high because I did not read our news notes before I started this cold read today. Um, Mm. As the Secretary of State's office of Mississippi didn't properly file the required documents until then. So it took them until 1995 to formally vote to ratify the 13th Amendment. Yeah, which had already obviously been approved. In action. Yeah, yeah. had been enacted by because of the three-fourths majority rule. Holy shit. <laughs> okay. Wow. Good oh, job, it's not as long ago as you think. How you doing there? I'm great. Um, And a complete 180. Michael Jordan is back. Uh, he rejoins the Chicago Bulls after a 17-month absence, which is exciting. Yay, Chicago Bulls. Yeah, they suck now. I did not grow up in Chicago, so I do not quite have the same affinity for for Jordan as Miss Lizzie. Yay, Chicago Bulls. Boo, Jerry Reinsdorf. There we go. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for that. And then, oh, this takes me back. 67th Annual Academy Awards. Best Picture, Forrest Gump. Best Director, Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump. Best Actor, Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Best Actress, Jessica Lange. For Blue Sky. I do love me some Jessica Lang. Thanks to American Horror Story. Never seen Blue Sky, though. I have not either. Yeah, me neither. And then Take a Bow by Madonna continues its run as the number one song. And Outbreak is number one at the box office. Okay, I actually saw this come up when I was doing the notes for this episode. And I fucking love Outbreak. It's such a cheesy, overly dramatic uh, <laughs> virus outbreak type movie. But... In true 1995, like, overdramatic fashion. How does it rate compared to Contagion? It's much less realistic. Okay. It's much more... <laughs> Contagion is much more about, like, being... Systematic? Gr- yeah, about being grounded in the reality of stuff. This one's about Donald Sutherland wanting to fuel air bomb a town. So, you know, so it's got going that going for it, which is nice. And Morgan Freeman. And Dustin Hoffman with a great performance. Oh, Okay. Maybe we'll have to put that on our list. It's got a it's got a lot going for it. Well, I mean, it was number one at the box office. Exactly. So. so people know quality cinema when they see it. All right. So this week's episode was directed by Donna Deitch. Deitch. I don't know I if I'm Deech. saying that right. Deitch. We're gonna go with Deitch. Uh, she's directing the episode. This is one of two episodes she directed, but this is her first. Um, highlights. She's kind of a veteran uh, TV slash some film director, but primarily TV. Um, She's directed episodes of ER, NYPD Blue, Crossing Jordan, Law & Order SVU, Judging Amy. So kind of made the rounds of like the the TV drama area. Um, She has done a few films as well. None that I'm really super familiar with. Um, The only two that, that 
I even kind of sound familiar are Desert Hearts from 1985 and Criminal Passion from 1994. So she's big into the dramas, it sounds like. But like I said, it's one of two episodes for her. And then uh, written, this episode's written by Neil Bayer, who um, also directed, or also wrote uh, The Gift from earlier this season. And I want to say, yes, he did one other one. He did, uh, sh- he did the story for um, Chicago Heat. So this is his okay. third episode that he's written. And uh, in terms of viewers this week, We've got a little dip from last week. Um, I'm sure most people were still reeling from the tension of last week, and maybe it just needed a week off from ER. Who knows? Uh, but we well, we dropped down. Weeks. That's true. Yeah, going by the air date, that's yeah. It's almost three weeks to the day since the last episode. But we uh, dropped down a little bit to 32.9 million for this week's episode. But uh, we're gonna shoot right back up to our all new all time high so far. Uh, with next week's episode so stay tuned for that well i look forward to it uh but beginning with this episode we the episode opens with an absolutely gorgeous uh helicopter shot and pan over the chicago skyline uh specifically it's going from like the east side around like where navy pier is and like panning over uh westward and holy shit just seeing that space 25 years ago it's so empty compared to today like that's been like Hmm. the one of the big focuses of a construction boom in the last 10 in the last 10 years or so like it looks it is so much more built up there are so many more high rises like the second tallest building in all of chicago is now is soon to be completed in there the vista towers uh lauren's building is still it's still visible because it's another one it's only the first half it's only one of the two towers that are in my building oh that's true so it's got the tacky the tacky sign on it instead of the beautiful spire yeah and the aeon center is still there because the aeon center is eternal yes aeon center is very old school skyscraper what built probably the 80s uh probably because it looks exactly like the the old world trade center buildings but yeah and i drive into that area to work every day well i don't drive in but the bus takes me into that work fuck (laughs) the bus takes me into that area to work every day and when i saw this opening shot when i was taking her notes i was just like holy shit where are all the buildings are we sure this is the east side what's going on yeah we watched it like three times over just to make sure and it is and this shot very much like a noir special in the opening. Like, it's like an old detective series with the slow jazz and the fog. And it opens on a really dark trauma room with Mark staring at an empty gurney. And Susan comes in to talk to him. And he's not quite, like, we don't quite get a shot of Mark's face right away. And he goes, I just can't stop thinking about him. And, like, the way they pace these lines in this opening shot, I was like, are we doing a weird experimental detective, like, <laughs> story? It just, they pace this opening sequence. Yeah, you're right. Very weird. Um, and there's just slow jazz going on quietly this whole time they're having this talk. And Susan's like, go home. You know, I'll take care of this. We'll cover for you. We'll page you if we get into any mess. Get out of here. And the minute somebody says, if something goes wrong, we'll page you, that's a sign that something's going to go terribly wrong in the episode. Like, that's a red flag right there. And luckily, it opens up a little bit after this from the noir special, and I was wrong, and we are not getting a a detective crime special. We go then to the 
nurse's station, and Bob is back. I thought she was gone already, but Bob's back. We see we see <laughs> Jerry coming in from the cold with all of his winter gear on, and he is immediately correcting Bob on where the intake and discharge forms go. And Bob's like, I have my own system. He says, well, you're screwing everything up. Oh, uh, <laughs> quick correction. Jerry's leaving. Oh, is he headed out? Yeah, Jerry's headed out. Okay. So Bob is Bob is the night clerk. Okay. He's one of the night clerks. I apologize, my bad. I misinterpreted that. I thought he was coming in to see how Bob was had been doing things. Yeah, because so. we see Bob later on the episode, but we don't see Jerry at all. You're right. Jerry's at the Jerry comes back at the very end of the episode. So good catch. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And how much how much do we want to bet that Bob's system is actually more efficient and more sensible than Jerry's? Because I, I can't oh, imagine indefinitely. I, I would bet you a shiny nickel. Yeah. So we see Doug passing off a giant six foot patient on PCP to someone uh, he's, else. He's six foot eight, actually. Six foot eight. My oh well, that which actually makes it a lot funnier because he's a fucking giant hulking man walking through a walk. But go on. I thought, yeah, I thought that might have sounded a little strange because I figure I'm a I'm about six foot six foot one. He looked a lot bigger than me. But um, we see Doug passing him off on somebody else as he goes to leave for the night. We jump over quickly to. Uh, Benton and Jeannie talking about how he's going to finish uh, finish up and go sit with Mama Benton in her room. Um, she's still uh, up on, um, I guess, maybe ICU level. They don't really specify, but she's she's still in the hospital from last episode. Um, and she gets restless if nobody's with her. And, you know, Jeannie, of course, asking the question that everybody wants to know. How long are you planning on keeping this up? Benton is still very much in the camp of Mama Benton will be fine and everything is going to go back to the way it was before. So he says, until she comes home. And Jeannie is very skeptical of that, as are we. Yeah, we'll Mama see Benton, how that works out for you. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not going to go great for you there, Petey. Um, but she clearly thinks that Mama Benton's not fit to be at home anymore. She invites Benton out to dinner, at which point Carter kind of pops up almost like a cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sounds fascinating. I'd love to come along. Carter is so good at this. Like Noah Wiley is so good at these little drop-in lines. Like it's particularly with him and Benton. Like he, him and Benton are such a good like pair. They're such they're, they, Benton playing the straight man and Carter with his just like little one-liners here and there. It's so good. We did make note that his uh, side part is now almost completely gone. Actually, is completely gone here. Uh, but he is still wearing the suspenders, so he's not he's not full-blown man Carter just yet. And, of course, Benton, uh, in usual Benton tone, brushes him off, tells him, Carter, finish your notes and mind your own business. And I just I just had a thought with um, your observation about the relationship and just playoff between Benton and Carter. And I'm wondering if maybe that's part of the reason why they ended up getting rid of Deb for a while. If they thought maybe could she be. just if they just maybe thought she wasn't quite fitting in with with the dynamic and that it was improved not having her there. Could have been a three's a crowd situation. They're yeah. just. Yeah, I, it's possible. I don't know. I disagree with that notion, but... But yeah. I'm saying that they could have thought it might have been eating into it. So what we're saying is I have to invent a time machine, go all the way back to 1995, <laughs> and be like, now! Save to the, Deb! Yeah, to the writers. Yes, clearly. Then after that, we have uh, Susan and Carter just sort of talking about the title of the episode, Full Moon, Saturday Night. You know, Susan's asking what asking if asking if Carter's ever worked a full, mo- a full moon before, and basically he says no, and, well, crazy shit tends to happen, and that's going to be a theme throughout the entire episode, is that lots of weird-ass <laughs> shit's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, and, and in 
immediate fashion, we get our first example of that as we see, um, I forget which nurse is, is chasing him. Is it um, Lily? It's Connie. Like there's, it's Connie. That's right. Connie's chasing uh, Louie, the runaway toilet patient. He is, <laughs> he is rolling himself down the hallway on his portable toilet. And this guy comes back a couple of times doing this sight gag of just like kind of rolling past on his uh, portable toilet. And it always makes me laugh. Um, the actor who's playing Louie here is a guy by the name of Don Kiefer, who has an amazing, but not the high for this episode. We'll get to that later. But he has an amazing <laughs> 178 credits to his name, including which because a lot of them were older credits. So I didn't know as many of them. You know, I just wasn't familiar with him. But one that did stand out to me was he was in Liar Liar. Uh, he the Jim Carrey movie from 98, 97. I believe 97. Uh, yeah. Um, he plays the kind of homeless bum guy who's outside of the courthouse that when Jim Carrey has his big epiphany towards the end where he's like, you know, I love my son and everything. And he runs out and just throws a shitload of change at the homeless guy. And he like grabs it and like in all of his fists and like, <laughs> like holds it up to the heavens and is just so happy to have all this money and everything. That is Louie here, the runaway toilet guy. Oh. But unfortunately, he did pass away in 2014 at the ripe old age of 98. So Louis lived a good long life. Uh, but we don't have any time to dwell on that little moment of levity here because we have Hele running down the hallway screaming um, that we have a code white in Trauma 2 and that we need to call security. Uh, what the fuck is a code white? We find out very quickly that code <laughs> white is a very specific code. It is code for giant PCP boy strapped to a gurney hurling himself around the ER. Uh, he is in Trauma 2, as Hale mentioned, and he has managed to get on two feet while still strapped to the gurney, and now he is just, like, thrusting his body into things, and, like, he breaks a window. Like, he looks like Frankenstein. Like, he is just doing all the damage with his gurney. Um, and he's yelling about his wife, girlfriend. It's never really made clear, but he's like, you, whatever, I'll kill you. You know, he's just just nuts. And we get <laughs> kind of, I felt like it was a little bit of a callback to remember that episode we had a while back where they had kind of their, there was a mass casualty event and, and we knew they were going to be getting a bunch of patients very quickly. And so they kind of had that like Avengers assemble thing where they all just sort of stood in the hallway and like we're waiting for the patients to arrive. It's a little bit of that, but with just a hint of comedy attached to it where, you know, Susan goes full moon Saturday night and Carter just says, cool. Wasn't that Blizzard? I think it was. I think it was Because it's Blizzard. dead, and then all of a sudden they get slammed. Yeah, I felt like it was a little bit of a callback to that sort of thing of where they're like all assembled in the hallway waiting, but this was much more, played much more for laughs. Yep. And I want to be pedantic and point out that he was like Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Actually. I didn't get a 26 on my English and, a and my ACT for nothing. He was like Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. Um, but yeah. Fucking hysterical visual there. Especially when he slams his head through the window with the gurney. It's just Ooh, like, what yeah. the hell? Beginning the long-standing tradition that will endure for the rest of the series of just tearing the ever-loving shit out of that ER. Yeah, it becomes a character in and of itself, for sure. Speci specifically the trauma room windows. The trauma like, Those take so much. Like, those have been replaced at least, like, five dozen well, times. Why but... even have them? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, after the beautiful... Cool. We go right into opening with bangs. 
I think all through season one so far, and still no other twinkles aside from episode two. Do yeah. At this, at this point, do we want to put a bet on if we're going to hear the twinkles before before season two? I'm thinking well, we won't, because I know for a fact, because I've got sources, shout out to Bobby, uh, I've got sources that we get some twinkles in, I believe at the time he told me about it, he was in season five or six. So I yeah. know we have twinkles coming, and I, I knew that anyway, but right. it might be a long wait uh, before they start incorporating that. You're strong in your conviction. I um, am. My sister has also told me there are twinkles on the horizon, but just not when. And then we come back into the episode, uh, Deb with her cute little hair clips, hair out of her face, always important while you're running around doing, doing doctory things. And she's flipping through Carter's little notebook. And as she's, she's just idly kind of looking at a couple pages, has her head tilted and isn't doing it super secretively, but trying to be a little subtle about it. And all of a sudden Carter shows up behind her and just screams in her ear, what are you doing? Like just essentially just a boo factor right behind her. And she's like, I was checking your procedures. I want to see what you had logged. Because, like, she wants to know what the competition is. Yeah, I love this because this is very subtle. You know, they've they've subtly changed the nature of their relationship over the course of the last, you know, episode and a half mm-hmm. um, to where now it's much more competitive you know, based on that conversation that they had a few episodes ago about electives and how, you know, Deb is much more prepared with things and Carter's just sort of flying by the seat of his ass and just showing up. And so they, they've sort of changed the nature of their relationship a little bit and kind of turned the volume up on the competitiveness. And this is the first episode where we really start to see that bear fruit where, you know, there's we're starting to see not only the change in the nature of their relationship that we see but it's also making changes in their personalities as well where deb is getting more competitive which as we're going to see as we go along in this episode and in future episodes that she's starting to like make mistakes and starting Mm -hmm. to you know slip up because she's worried about what carter's doing and she's worried about being better than carter and it's it's just a nice little bit of subtle storytelling that i really appreciate uh so as we alluded to earlier uh mark has go- is going home. Uh, so Susan is tr- and Carol are having a little chat about uh, trying to get another doctor to cover for Mark. So let's listen in. Hey, Carol, Mark went home. Could you call Foster in tonight? He broke his leg skiing. Oh. Uh, what about Alonso? Doing ICU. How about Ross? Previous engagement. Oh. You care? Nope. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Diane Leeds. Really? The one with the kid? Mm-hmm. Susan. Yeah, auto versus pedestrian ETA now. Gangbanger in a suture room. And that sort of thing. Call someone. Moonlighter? Oh, they're always senile or dermatologists. Okay, Moonlighter. It okay. Is. It's going to be one of those nights. Now, I want to point out that line from Susan about the Moonlighter is going to be very important for when someone shows up later. She has very low expectation for whoever's about <laughs> to show up and offer them support. So, yeah. Just a little bit of hot goss with uh... Foster. Breaking his leg? No, with the... Uh, oh, with Diane Leeds, with... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The one Do you the care? Kid? No. Are you sure? No. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I don't care. That was adorable. <laughs> I love Susan so much. She's right up there with Lydia for biggest gossip of the, of the office. <laughs> also, we don't see Lydia at all this episode. I was sad, but... Can't have too much of a good thing. I know. Um, Stop doing boomer shit. <laughs> I still I still need to dare myself to watch that. But from there, we go and check on the first trauma, which is, a, as Halle mentioned, a pedestrian who was hit by a car. Um, Susan asks Carter, you know, what do we do? How do we handle this? 
Carter immediately nails it, goes off with all this, like all the next steps that are appropriate for this situation. And then he just kind of like smiles to himself. And as he's like, there's a, there's like a maybe two second pause. And then Susan's like, Carter. And he's like, what? Oh yeah. And they totally, he totally forgot he needs to help assist moving the guy to the actual like ER gurney off the EMT <laughs> one. So just a moment of like, don't get too b- big for your, uh, Bridges, thank you. I was going to say bootstraps. That's yeah. not right. Don't get too big for your britches, Carter. Um, it's a really gross chest wound. They do a really good job. It's a nice big laceration. Um, we don't see many other injuries, but they have... Susan directs Deb and Carter to work on stitching him up together. Because they're like, she's like, it's a good chance for you both to work on a wound like this. Two patients or two doctors are faster than one. Get it done. Yeah. Deb start on one side, Carter start on the other, meet in the uh, call me when you meet in the middle. Right. <laughs> Just again, it, encouraging that competitiveness between the two of them. And this this might be a little premature because we don't really get a close up shot of the patient's face here, but we get a better look at his face um, in a, a upcoming scene. But I'll, I'll drop it here just uh, to see if you guys caught it. Did you catch who this person is, the actor playing our pedestrian hit by a car? I did not. I did not, but I'm tr- and I'm trying not to scroll ahead on my on my uh, condensed notes to see who you put. So I'm gonna be good <laughs> I, and not. Ch- I didn't. I, did not I didn't put. I didn't put. I, I I purposely left it out because I wanted it to be a surprise for you because this is far and away, um, not probably the it's by far and away the most significant. Oh hey, it's that guy of this episode, and he's in contention for the most significant. Oh hey, it's that guy we've had so far. Okay. Like in the no, whole I did show. not catch it. All right, so we will we will cover that um, when we get to Deb and Carter doing their little race to see who uh, <laughs> who, who stitches him up faster. Um, but just keep it in the back of your mind; it's somebody you know very, very well. Okay, I'm really excited now. I want to know. Do you want him to spoil it for you now? No, no, no. I can <laughs> wait because in the meantime, we have one of my favorite actors ever show up for the first time. Uh, Mark is over. <laughs> Mark has not, in fact, gone home. He's over in Doc McGoo's having a bagel and some some coffee. Uh, and in walks, oh, Michael Ironside. How much do I? How much do I love thee? Let uh, me count the ways. Yes, uh, one of my favorite just role actors. Not really ever the lead in anything, but he's there in the background in a lot of like military type movies. Like he's one of my, he's I, I just i just love him and i need to replay command and conquer 3 now because he is so over the top in that and it's beautiful and uh go watch starship troopers everyone if you haven't seen it whole and even if you have seen it go rewatch it it holds up so fucking well and he's amazing in it i want to point something out here i just went to his wikipedia and his filmography has its own page it's not like a little <laughs> section like you would have it's got its own page on wikipedia yeah the dude i'm just like looking at like 1994 or something he did one two three four five six seven eight he did nine movies in 1994 alone he's a busy man Dude fucking works. Uh, Another it, Top Gun alum, too. Exactly. With yes, with we, we will get to that in just a minute. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but in his other filmography, I just thought this was hilarious when I was just looking through his his Wikipedia page. Um, his first film was in, they did was in 1997. It was titled Outrageous with an exclamation point at the end, and he his role was simply drunk. <laughs> And Which his, is weird because I can't imagine him playing drunk. And his next few movies were Highballin', where she played Butch. That's not really get funny. Uh, 1978's Power Play, where he plays Torturer. 
1979's Summer Children, where he plays Pimp. Jesus. 1979's Stone Cold Dead, where he plays Murdered Police Detective. Not just a, not a police detective. A oh murdered police detective. I want all these characters to be in one movie together with him playing every role. <laughs> in 19, and concluding with 1979's The Family Man, where he is simply bartender. And then sure. he actually gets gets into more named, named roles. Yeah, named roles. Wow. So what? Okay. So let's let's go around the table here. What's what's the first thing you remember seeing him in, and like, what was your impression of him the first time you saw him? The first thing I actively remember him being in was uh, Starship Troopers, for sure. Yeah, I'm looking through, and I think I think it's gonna be Star Starship Troopers for me too. Because I was too young for his first run on um, ER. Yeah. When I saw Starship Troopers for the first time, I was like, oh, hey, it's that guy from ER. <laughs> so you remember so, him from ER first? I will, like, I didn't, he didn't, like, like, he looked familiar. I was, and then, and then when my brother told me, it was like, oh, yeah, he was on ER for a few episodes. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, cool. Awesome. And the rest my, is history. My first impression, or my first, like, notice of him was in the Hillary Swank karate kid sequel uh which i believe was called the next karate kid so it wasn't even a numbered sequel and he basically played like the leader of the what that movie's equivalent of the cobra kai like he was the like lead bad guy and he i thought was the scariest motherfucker on planet earth in 1994 or whatever year that movie came out like i and also i kept getting him confused for jack nicholson like i was like is he the like i was like is that the joker is that the same guy (laughs) It is not, but <laughs> um, other his other I think really huge role that he's that he's probably known for to some of our audience. Uh, he plays uh, the role of Sam Fisher. The vo- uh, he's the voice actor for Sam Fisher in the Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell series. Can can I put him on the list of um, ER alums that we do a potential movie for? I would totally be down for watching. That would open Troopers. up so many possibilities. I know. Just, <laughs> would really expand the list. Patreon.com uh, slash Sight in the Tone podcast. You can help us unlock those. Oh, Michael Ironside. So uh, Mike is going to be with us for seven episodes total, but his his run as a regular character is like tragically short. He is only going to be with us um, for seven episodes total, five of which come before the end of season one. So basically he's going to appear in every episode the rest of the way for season one, and then he will fall off the face of the earth. And like, as far as I know, he kind of, for lack of a better word, gets bobbed, um, even though he does come back later in a couple of one-off appearances. There's never, to my recollection, there is never any um, concrete explanation given for the disappearance of him as a regular character. He's just sort of here for a while until he's not. But he does make a a return one-off appearance in a later season episode. I'm not 100% sure which season it's in. Um as like a guest appearance where he gets to talk and stuff. And then as we mentioned, this was the character that I teased a few episodes back that we were going to be getting. Um, who's one of my favorite, like any, and he is, he's one of my favorite, like minor major characters. Like his run is incredibly short by the numbers, but I think he is very memorable. Um, and as I mentioned in that tease, he does actually show up at green's funeral. Um, doesn't have a speaking part at that point, but just is there. And I thought I thought that was a really nice touch that they included him in that because he is a significant part of Mark's story. And can I point out how memorably he shows up on this first episode? <laughs> so as we mentioned, Mark is chilling in Doc McGoose, eating a bagel, 
being sad about his life. And all of a sudden, this this hulking specimen in bright colored bike spandex with a bike helmet shows up, walks in, starts unzipping his jacket, sits down right next to Mark, says, huh, you work around here? What's good on the menu? And Mark totally rebuffs him, like, doesn't says, say anything. And no, he, he says nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, what's good on the menu? Nothing. nothing. And then goes, well, you're eating the bagel. That looks safe. Maybe I'll go with one of those. And Mark just kind of shrugs and goes and sits at a booth. Completely <laughs> blows him off. He's, Not He says, excuse me. Like, he says, he, he does. excuse me. And then bows out. But just wants none of it. This is going to be important later. But, yeah, just goes and sits at a booth by himself. Clearly, Mark doesn't want to talk to anybody, especially strangers in biker gear. Not biker gear is in Harley Davidson. <laughs> biker gear is in spandex and Ugh. bright co- reflective colors so you don't get hit on the road but now but now i'm picturing michael ironside coming in on like a harley davidson motorcycle in like easy rider with like the big handlebars but wearing this outfit <laughs> and it's it makes me very happy i'm glad if any of you are good at photoshop please bring that to us <laughs> and we go back to check on deb and carter and they are nitpicking um about the procedures that they're working on and everything and talking about stitching this guy up and Deb's like, you know, how do we how do we track shared procedures? Who gets to log this? Like, you know, how do they handle that? And Carter's like, I don't know. And I think it's Deb that says, how about whoever sews more takes it? And <laughs> like, he's this guy's awake the whole time they're negotiating over who the fuck is gonna get to count this in their thing. And as as he's awake, there <laughs> he hears Deb go. You know, if you slowed down your stitches, you, you know, they wouldn't invert so much. Like, <laughs> All like, right. Hey, so you're doing a subpar job. It, so it's time for, for you to find out who our patient is here. Uh, like I said, this is somebody you know very well. Uh, you've seen him in in several different things, but one thing in particular I know you'll know him from. This guy is uh, he's a bit of a renaissance man. He's good with numbers. He is an inventor. He is a politician. He, gosh, he enjoys calzones. Adam Ad- Scott. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> last episode, we got what? little baby. We got little baby Bradley Whitford in last episode. This episode, we get little baby Adam Scott. The ice clown. The ice clown himself. The mayor of Ice Town. One Mr. Ben. What is, the la- what is his last ben name? Ben Wyatt. Ben Wyatt. One Mr. Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. Adam Scott. Looking like the most 90s boy there ever was with his fucking like half bowl haircut. Like he's a Backstreet Boys reject. Now I have to go fucking. I know. I'm like, I want to go find a clip. I'm going to see if I can just Google Adam. It's all it's all in the eyes. It's all in the eyes. If you look at the eyes, you're like, nope, that's that's Adam Scott. One hundred percent. And then one little trip to IMDb later and it's him. Holy shit. So it is. (laughs) Wow, baby. Yep. So that is uh, that's our big oh hey it's that guy for this episode. Um, but we don't get much time to enjoy that before the uh, guy who actually hit little baby Adam Scott with his car uh, collapses with chest pain. Oh no! And that actor is played by Steve Franken, who beats out Louis from earlier in the episode with 179 credits. He prices right at him uh, with 179 credits across multiple decades. Um, he was in Westworld, the movie, not the show. Um, thank you. And, uh, can't buy me love, uh, the, one of the Beatles movies. And yeah, he passed away in 2012, unfortunately. So yep, yeah, he passes out from chest pain. 
Deb bails out on the stitches and goes to check on this trauma because that's far more interesting. And we get who we know as Willie Swift, Michael Ironside coming in. Um, but to Susan and the rest of the team in there, he is just mystery biker guy shows up and wants to know who's in charge. And Susan immediately assumes that he is the useless moonlighter who Carol called in to replace Mark and just kind of dismissively, dismissively tells him to suit up and pick, pick out what he thinks he can handle, the weakened dizzies and some of the other easy cases that are out there. Um, and once the trauma gets kind of calmed down and everything, um, her and Swift walk outside and he introduces himself as William Swift, the new ER chief taking over for Dr. Morgenstern. Oops! Well... And I want to point out the reason this comes about is because he he questions her diagnosis on the on the patient that they were just working on. Yes, he does. And she's like, who the hell are you? Like, who the hell do you think you are? And then he says, I'm William Swift. I'm your new ER chief. Oh, nice to meet you. Everybody's making great first impressions here. It's what you do when you're in the middle of a trauma. Yep. And then we get Malik showing up at the nurse's station with uh, three tongue depressors. And he says, short end takes the lice. <laughs> and it's him, I think, Halle, and Carol. Carol, of course, draws the short end. And they're like, well, your bedpan days will soon be over because you're marrying a doctor. And at the tail end of that, we have uh, a little bit of Carol and Tag discussing some wedding stuff uh, when Benton comes in. So let's listen in. <laughs> Cheer up, Carol. Your bedpan days will soon be over. Yeah, not with my luck. <laughs> Won't you marry Tech? You can do whatever you like. So you're going to leave us when you get rich? Oh, and leave all this beauty? Oh. Hey! Come on. Okay. What do you have here? Twelve common errors that can ruin your wedding. Okay. Modern pride. There's some great articles in here. <laughs> hey, did somebody page me? No, not me. No. Look, check out number six. Make sure you audition the band before you hire them. Hmm? So I guess your brother's band is out. They actually have to know how to play, I think. So what kind of band should we get? I thought maybe we'd do some polka music or something, eh? You're hysterical. Tagliari. What's up? Did you get my page? Yeah. So how come you didn't tell me you were kicking my mother out, huh? He's been at the computer again. Yeah, yeah, you're damn hey, right. Hey, we I talked about you staying out of your mom's file. Why are you discharging her? The hospital's breathing down my neck, okay? I put them off a week. Medicare won't pay anymore. Look, she needs more time to recuperate. I got her three more days. It's the best I could do. Get your family together and talk over your options. She's not ready to go home yet. Face reality, Peter. She's had a stroke and a hip replacement. She can't go home. She's going to require skilled nursing the rest of her life. I will take my mother home and care for myself if I have to. She's not going home. The hell she is. Benton is still in denial. (laughs) Oh, boy. It's a beautiful song there, Daniel. It really is. Um, And I just want to point out, how great Tag and Carol are suddenly getting along, and Carol does not seem at all devastated about the fact that she doesn't get her little girl. <laughs> right? Let's just dispense with yeah. that whole fucking storyline. Last episode, she's crying, or no, two episodes ago, she's t- crying in Doug's arms about Tatiana, and now it's like, who? Tatiana who? Yeah, and it clearly hasn't been that long, because Mark is still, like, super, like, fucked up about the whole pregnancy case the from last episode. It kind of diminishes a little bit of the impact of that storyline when they dispense with it so quickly. Yeah. Which we'll see this happen again with future storylines, I'm sure. Oh, Oh, sure. In a 15-season show, you're bound to run into shit like this. Yep. And then 
we have Bob notifying Susan that they're running out of beds, and Susan just goes, ah, the witching hour. Let's make room for punks, drunks, and skunks, I think was the three that that she highlighted. And the combination of people here, it's Susan, Bob, Halle, Deb, and Carter. It's just, it's a really odd group to see walking together all at once. I just, I was like, I want more of this, this pot, this just set of people right here. I think they could get into some trouble together. ER Knights. ER Knights. ER After Dark. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But then Tag and Carol are still talking and, or Tag comes back. Carol has just been fumigating a patient and so she's in this ridiculous outfit and all of a sudden Tag's like, is that Wild Willie? And Carol's like, oh, you know him? And Tag goes, yeah, knew him. We played ball together at Ohio State. And I knew Tag had to have some flaws. Fucking went to Ohio State. <laughs> Fucking jock. <laughs> I'm into Ohio State. I don't care about the fact that he played ball. Just, ew, Ohio. <laughs> I'm an MSU. Excuse me. That's the, the Ohio. Ohio State. Excuse you. I'm from MSU. I can say whatever the fuck I want. Go green. <laughs> Go white. Boo Buckeyes. So you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about Michael Ironside that him and uh, Anthony Edwards uh, had their Top Gun connection. So we should point out, too, that because one of our listeners pointed this out that uh, we failed to mention with Anthony Edwards, one of his big kind of notable things he was uh, in before ER was Top Gun, which is just sort of kind of a gap for the three of us. Like none of us really, if we have seen it, it's been a long time or we were just never big fans of it. But not only was Anthony Edwards and uh, Michael Ironside working together in Top Gun, they were also working with Tag. So all three of these guys worked together Mm. um, in Top Gun. So kind of bringing that full circle. I'm just going to say, Angela G, thank you for calling us out on that missing gap in our pop culture knowledge. And who knows, maybe we'll do a commentary on Top Gun one day. I kind of want to see it. It's still something that I've been missing. Yeah, I've never seen it either. You can watch it for uh, the new one, Top Gun Maverick. (laughs) Yeah. In theaters, summer 2020, I think. I don't even know. I I just see trailers. Tom Cruise. I just see trailers for it when I go to the movies. I wonder if Anthony Edwards is going to be in it. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Okay, sorry. Um, so after that, we have uh, just a random aside. Four frat boys dropped off by EMTs with possible frostbite everywhere. Their pledges at... Did they say where? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, it's they just said, it's pledge week. And they're buck naked with pillows over their junk. Because. And just adding more to the full moonness of this <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> Full moons. Because <laughs> they're butts. Oh, shut up. Because hazing is hilarious and nothing says camaraderie like freezing your dick off, literally. So what happens next, Daniel? Uh, from there, uh, <laughs> we go check on Benton, who is going to check on Mama Benton. Uh, she is, he finds her in her room in restraints, uh, so not great. And Mama Benton is just so pitiful here. She is just heartbreaking. She tells Peter uh, that, you know, she asked them not to restrain her but not and to stop trying, but, you know, they wouldn't listen. Of course, she probably needs to be in restraints for her own safety, but neither she nor Benton is prepared to accept that. Um, he undoes her restraints and leaves her unrestrained while he goes out into the hallway to confront someone and happens to uh, run headlong into Jeannie, who's coming back from the coffee machine. And he just immediately starts in on her like is barking at her like i thought you were sitting with her she's like i went to get a cup of coffee you psycho and (laughs) 
he's you know just bitching about how they restrained her and how you know just yada 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 and in the course of all this we discover that genie is the one who asked them to restrain her because she was trying to crawl out of bed so once again peter is the last person on the planet to come around to anything when it comes to mama benton like everyone else can see the writing on the wall but it's benton himself who just can't handle it and can't accept it and it's to her detriment as we will see later in the episode it ultimately is dangerous for her how in denial he is it's all just such a mess and his face when genie's like well yeah i asked them to restrain her oh yeah i forgot to mention that too he basically tells like he basically like fires her as her caretaker he's basically like don't bother coming back so he's in full-blown denial mode like he's back to i'll do this myself which you know (laughs) spoiler ain't gonna go great for you there guy nope and then we go we check on carter he's doing h and p i can't remember what that's called history and physical hops and pops i don't know he's just getting a history yeah so he's getting a history on an abdominal patient that susan asked him to go check on she is obsessed with astrology not giving him any clear answers at all just just she just gives a bunch of vague answers based on astrology and he's like well i'm gonna order a pregnancy test because that's usually what we want to rule out when we're talking about abdominal pain we want to double check on that and we learn that he's a gemini so represent us twins got to stick together and he has the same birthday as my sister who is also a gemini hey hey but yeah she um so we'll we'll come back to her a little bit later. Just quickly on her before we leave leave her for the first time. Um, this character who I don't remember, I don't think we get her name in this first interaction, but we do get it later on. It's Arlena, which is fittingly kind of odd name for an odd character. Um, she's played by an actress named Kimmy Roberts, who, when I first watched the episode, she has a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive mm-hmm. like cadence to her the way she talks. And I actually at first thought she might have been. Christine Cavanaugh, whose name might not sound familiar to you immediately, but I can guarantee you her voice would. Um, she was the voice of Chucky Finster in the Rugrats, um, yep. as well as a lot of other Nicktoons, has since passed away. And I do think we actually get her at some point as a patient on ER. Um, I swear we do. But this is not her. But this lady is a voice actress. Um, she's got several mm-hmm. notable credits in the voice acting um, arena, most notably um, Beauty and the Beast and uh, Stuart Little, which kind of voice, kind of not, kind of a hybrid movie. And in a live action setting, she was also in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, she has a very distinctive face and a very distinctive voice for sure. She does. But from there, we go and we... We check on Susan, who is examining Hiccup Boy. I call him a boy, but he's probably in his, like, mid to mid-twenties. Um, he says nothing has wor- or his fiance is telling her, you know, nothing has worked. He hasn't slept for two whole nights. She lists all these, like, folk remedies that he's tried. You know, he's still been hiccuping for, like, two, two or three days straight. We find out that they're getting married in two weeks. And Susan says, oh, it's probably pre-wedding jitters. And this is another little bit player guy with a really hard to pronounce last name matt Bor Borle- borlingy borlingy i think I it's borlenny borlenny sure he's got i think probably far and away the most eclectic filmography of anybody in this episode um he was in the youtube series that follows up karate kid cobra kai he was on several seasons of the soap opera all my children and he was on the jeff foxworthy show because that was a thing that happened yes it was 
I forget that that exists. I forget Jeff Foxworthy exists, much less that he had a show. Then after that, we have uh, Tag and Carol trying to talk about potential honeymoon locations. Ooh la la. Uh, speaking of ER after dark, um, <laughs> Paris or Hawaii are their options. Yeah, both those sound actually pretty good to me too. So can I, I marry? I- can I marry Tag and go to Paris? That'd be awesome. I mean, you can marry me and go to Paris. That's true. Uh, That's very true. And their patient is just sort of eavesdropping. They're putting a cast on together to a patient, just a random patient. And Carol hasn't checked out the China patterns yet. <gasps> Scandal for the wedding reception. The patient is also like eavesdropping on them too. <laughs> or but like, she's yeah. like really like, she's like, they stop talking. And then I forget who, I forget who interrupts them. Somebody interrupts them. And then she like finishes the scene where she's like, where were we? And they both just share this goofy, like, sitcom look at each other, like, wah, wah. Yeah, but honestly, tagging Carol in this episode just, like, makes me really glad that I never want a big wedding. Yep. There's just oh, so much yeah. fucking little shit that goes into it that I just I just don't want to deal with. No, That was Lauren and I high-fiving. <laughs> Does not translate in an audio medium. <laughs> exactly. But we are not doing a big wedding. <laughs> so uh, we jump over, and Swift is on the hunt for green. Um, and Susan covers for him, says he went home with a touch of the flu, because that's like, always a good cover. Quickly jump over, check back with the astrology patient, Arlena, um, and find out, surprise, she's pregnant. And she has more astronomy shit, or, or not astronomy, astrology shit for him, of that their interaction should not be finished. There's more based on his chart, and that they're, they should... I, I, I don't know, the whole thing is, I find the astrology shit kind of weird honestly um i think that's the point i think it's the point yeah they're they're laying it on thick here but uh she tells carter to go with the voice inside you fight the voice of others who seek to destroy you and carter again Mm -hmm. with a a just picture perfect comedy take is just like all right i'll order your ultrasound and then leaves (laughs) like just so then carol asks how susan is holding up because it's just been such a hectic night and Susan's like, you know, it's kind of nice not having the boys around. And right as she finishes saying this, there's a huge boom and an explosion of paper from the garbage by the admittance um, desk. And one of the frat boys had put a cherry bomb in the trash can. So papers are just everywhere by the nurse's station now. And all of a sudden Bob goes, Carol, there's, there's a call on radio. Carol checks, and it's time to implement disaster protocol. We find out that there are a ton of patients coming in. I believe they said a fire was what the... Yeah, mostly third-degree burns, like 15 major casualties. Yeah, so they are told to start implementing disaster protocol. And on good faith, Carol starts paging everybody who needs to come in, and um, Susan just starts getting the ER ready. And we page Doug, and we see that he's in bed with Diane Leeds. Scandal. And I put in my notes, but they still not dealt with Lydia. And Daniel, I see, corrected me, LOL LINDA in all caps. But Lydia sounds like a far more interesting conflict. So, oops, my bad. Guys, stop picking names that sound so familiar. That... We still have not dealt with the fact that Linda has not been written off the show yet. So Doug's just sleeping around, new relationship with Diane Leeds. Everything's great. Daniel, thanks for correcting me. That's why Lydia's um, not in this episode, because she is on a romantic getaway with Doug. Hey, I'm here for it. Our favorite thirst trap. If she could get it, go for it. (laughs) Um, So Linda is just gone. And 
Doug's like, oh shit, I gotta go. It's 2.30 in the morning. And Diane's like, what is going on? He goes, this is just my life. He goes, can I come back and see you though? It shouldn't be too long. And she's like, there's a spare key on the kitchen table, but you have to be back out before Jake wakes up and he's an early riser. Ugh. (laughs) Your child friend might see you sleeping with me. Get out of my house. And then we see Peter is woken up from sleeping on the chair next to his mom. So he runs downstairs, still leaving her unrestrained and unsupervised. Um, And then we have a slow zoom into an, like, through an arcade. It's very loud, very busy. And we zoom in first onto a big pronounced Nintendo on an arcade machine. (laughs) And then we go up to Mark frantically playing. And I was able to see one of the character names on the screen and was able to Google. And this is Killer Instinct, for those of you who want to know. Fantastic arcade game. I, I've never played. Um, and I was like, he's not going to hear his page with how loud it is in there. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but either way, he looks drunk. I was going to say, with how like catatonic he looks, where he's just into the, like, he's in the zone, like, there's, he wasn't going to hear it even if it wasn't loud in there. And Fair. And that Nintendo, that, that Nintendo logo, too, I feel like they had to have paid for that. Like, there's, they, they linger on that so long. First you got this him first you got uh, Rachel getting the Super Nintendo, now you got this, so contracts were were signed between companies. Capitalism was done. Capitalism was done. You heard me. I like it. But then after that we have uh Doug showing up to a frantic uh frantically to a mostly empty emergency room. And we get this audio. Twenty nine minutes, thirty two seconds. I beat you. You what? What's going on? Where's the victims? You're looking at them. Everyone I'd like to introduce, Dr. Swift. William Swift, your new chief. It's good to see you all. Which one of you is uh, chief resident? We haven't been able to locate Dr. Green yet. Okay. I find these drills ideal for meeting my team and assessing how quickly the residents can mobilize. Now, seeing that I have you here, I'd like to take a few moments and go over some of the basics of ER management. Thank you. 2.30 a.m. Don't worry. I'll have you home by 4. How generous of him. He's a merciful God. Yeah. Also, side note, he really is one of the people I would love to narrate my life. Yes. Yeah. I love his voice so much. Yeah. But we'll, we'll we'll come back to some of this more disaster drill preparedness stuff a little bit later so then we jump over and uh deb is asking carter for help she's got a drunk patient who's getting a little handsy being rude and uh so carter comes in to help and this guy is real belligerent uh says he wants a real doctor not a couple of kids carter says that's fine but he can if he does he'll let that finger get infected swell up and fall off uh so not great dude looks extra grimy like he is they, they did a real good job making this dude look uh pretty gross so this is kind of what i was alluding to earlier about how the competition aspect between uh carter and deb has kind of the, the volume has been turned up on that a little bit and it's leading to some like uncharacteristic mistakes um and this is this is kind of the first example of that that we get here um and it's going to lead to a bigger example of it down the line before we get it before we get out of season one that will ultimately lead to where we're going to not see Deb for a few years. But Carter is getting ready to spray the, or he's spraying the numbing agent when 
Deb who has picked up the uh, the cautery to so this guy has like a we, we should mention he's got like a nail he like slammed his finger in something and so his nail bed is like swollen and uh, full of blood so they need to poke a hole in it with cautery to drain the blood Ooh. out yeah pretty Ooh. gross pretty pretty gross uh, so Carter spraying some numbing on there first uh, to numb the pain and Deb is going to poke the hole with the cottery. So again, like a little bit of that subtle storytelling where she wants to do the like cool part. Like he's going to do the boring stuff and she wants to do the cool part. And so she turns around with the cottery pen to start draining it. And Carter can't, Carter's not finished spraying the spray. So this stuff, which is highly flammable is just out there in the air and he can't stop her in time. And she damn near lights this guy's whole hand and all three of their faces on fire with the ignition that happens <laughs> and Carter's like, didn't anyone ever tell you that was flammable? And Deb just begs Carter not to tell anyone. So again, we're getting that, like, this is a competition and, you know, cover for me and don't tell anyone. Like it, it's almost uncharacteristic how quickly we've gone in the other direction where it's like, now it's now we're like evening them out a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. That fire is terrifying. It's a big old fireball. <laughs> And then we go to the resident meeting, and Dr. Swift has asked a question that Doug has absolutely no fucking clue what the answer is, so he's making a joke, trying to get the attention off of him. Bob peeks in and is like, oh, it's this. Oh, look, Bob's interesting again. Yep, so, oh yeah, she has a medical background, right, that's a thing. (laughs) Enjoy it while you can, Um, because it's fleeting. Yep, and then Mark has finally called Susan to see what she paged about. He sounds drunk as a skunk. Um, Susan tells him that the new chief called a drill and we see him next running into the ER with his giant puffy winter coat on and he gets there and the time that Halei gives him is one hour and 47 minutes. He gets there and the meeting is wrapping up in the trauma room. Swift is like, oh, hey, Dr. Bagel. And he's like, how's that flu treating you? Mark's like, what flu? And as he's saying it, Susan is behind Swift, like motioning, trying to get him to fucking go with it. And um, Dr. Swift says, go home, read that before your next shift, and then we'll talk. So Mark's in trouble. Things aren't good. Peter then goes back up to Mama Benton's room. And guess what? Because she's untied, the bed is empty. But has she gone far? No. She has fallen off the bed, and she is on the floor next to the bed, partially unconscious. Jesus Christ. Benton, what are you doing? Yeah, Peter's just never going to get it through his fucking skull. Is Peter even, like, a fucking doctor? Like, all of his patient know-how goes out the... Oh, wait, no, he didn't have patient know-how. He only knows how to cut people open. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. He thinks like a surgeon. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. Not going great there for Petey. Um, But we go back over to check in with Astrology Girl. Um, We discover that she has both an ectopic pregnancy and an intrauterine pregnancy. So she's got one one viable pregnancy and one non-viable pregnancy. Holy shit. Yeah, not great. Not great. Could be not great. could be fatal. Um and after last episode we were taking this very seriously. <laughs> no, please no more pregnancy related deaths. So, but she doesn't really fully understand that right away. Like when they say like you have two different types of pregnancy, she's just like, "Ooh, cool, twins." And they're like, "No. No, honey. No." Like of course it'd be twins. There's a Gemini. Right, yeah. So they tell her that, you know, this is very serious. We need to 
you know, get you into surgery right away to remove the ectopic pregnancy because if not, if it ruptures, you could die. So let's not fuck around with your little star chart bullshit. Let's actually like save your life. So and I, th- I think this is the last we see of her. I do. Yeah, I think this is this is it for her. So to be fair, she's totally cool about all of it. Yeah, very very even keeled, very calm. She's like, all right. If that's if that's what the journey is, then that's what the journey is. And then Carol, sweet Carol, <laughs> is working on a patient who insists that he needs to be restrained until sunrise because he is a werewolf. And he doesn't know who or what he may hurt or what he may do because werewolves are unpredictable. And Rawr. Susan's sure. like, I'll, or not Susan, Carol is like, I'll go get you a doctor. <laughs> and... He's just into it, man. Like, I don't know if he's on drugs or if he is just living that best life, but he just thinks he is convinced he is a werewolf. So Carol's like, all right, I'll get you a doctor. She turns around and like takes two steps and he just growls at her like this big ferocious roar. He's like, never turn your back on a werewolf. (laughs) And she's like, right. And, And like backs out of the room, holding his folder up gets out, bumps into Carter, they start walking away, and all of a sudden you hear him howl. (laughs) He's really just taking the whole concept of being a furry way too far. That's clearly what's wrong with this guy. Could be. Furries are usually more chill, though. That's true. That's why I say he's taking it way too far. Right. They're they're docile, gentle creatures. (laughs) I know nothing about that whole... We, we lifestyle have, we have a good friend who is one i know and i still know nothing about it <laughs> it's just not my scene and that's okay not yucking anybody's yum exactly yeah so the guy who's playing the werewolf <laughs> or i guess the, the like ultra furry whatever we want to call him um <laughs> uh is a guy named andrew calder who I was surprised to find out because you know he does do a he like you said he gets into it like he's clearly got acting chops um so i expected to see that he was gonna have pit uh, parts and other things and really not like he had virtually no other notable acting credits that i could find um i think he only had something like 12 total in his entire career um oh, really yeah so it was kind of surprising because like he just from this one performance alone he desperately wants to be on buffy like he desperately wants <laughs> to be a bit player on buffy and it just didn't work for him it didn't didn't happen and i'm i'm sad about that because he wa- yeah he, he would have made like a good like with how much he was willing to just go for it he would have made a decent like supernatural actor absolutely 100 percent. but no such luck and we go back over to hiccup man and his fiance and they're like weirdly making out and awkwardly necking on the hospital bed when susan shows up with his results and it's just like i couldn't tell what was going on at first when they zoomed over to them because it was just such a weird like shot and he's super happy because his hiccups are gone but we find out from his like scans and everything that he has abscesses of bacteria near his liver that were putting pressure on the diaphragm leading to the hiccups and susan's like i'm really sorry to do like i have some personal questions to ask you do you mind that i should probably ask you alone and he goes no we don't keep secrets from each other you can you can ask in front of my fiance lizzie i'm sorry but if there's ever a doctor who says i have some really personal questions to ask you i'm kicking you out that's totally fair (laughs) good and so susan's like okay fine you fine whatever and she's like have you ever done iv drugs have you ever had high-risk sex such as with a man or um 
what was the other unprotected one? unprotected with a prostitute but he's like no of course not i would never well i never well i never are you implying i have aids like uh about that yeah so susan's just like oh it's possible based on this confection it's a very rare one that you know typically coincides with hiv so like i've got to ask but according to him nope he's a saint i did want to point out one thing though susan's like well you never answered my question and then he's like well no i didn't so yeah susan tries to catch him on it well i never (laughs) i wish he had answered it like that all right go ahead um then then after that we have uh mark and doug on the l uh and they have a a fun conversation what do you think about wild willie i don't know if i gonna make us do push-ups before every shift yeah you think you'll take morgan stern's recommendation and make you attending yeah you know i hear that he's promoting carter to chief surgery uh-huh. You getting any sleep at all? Mark. What? No, just didn't hear anything I was saying. Sorry. You gotta let this OB case go. Could have happened to any one of us. If you killed a patient, you wouldn't be upset. You didn't kill her. Mark, you did everything you could to save her. Tell that to her husband. A year from now, that little boy will be taking his first step, and his mother won't be there. Mother will never be there. It's not your fault, Mark. It's my stuff. So Mark, why don't you come over to my place? We can talk. Yeah, what for? See you tomorrow, Doug. All right. I would like to point out that Mark's get, Mark gets off the brown line at Chicago, which is where we've always seen them get on the L when they're coming from the hospital. <laughs> so continuity error, number 8 million of 1 billion. But other than that, oof. Just all of it. Just Mark, baby. Mark's taking this well. Yep. Yeah. And I said maybe, you know, maybe they pick the Chicago platform just to make it clear that they're in Chicago. We need to be reminded. Yes, you need to be beaten over the head with the fact that the Chicago ER is in, is in Chicago. Exactly. But then Mark sits down on the bench on the platform instead of going anywhere. Yeah. And we leave him there for I now. I just want to give him a hug. I just want to give him a sandwich and a hug. Why a sandwich? Because he just, it's just, I like food when I'm sad. And I thought he could use some food because he's sad. And then we get a new trauma. This guy has taken a 12-gauge to the lower chest. He, I guess he broke into a neighbor's house? It's Or it was something like that. Yeah, there was a robbery or something. He has four to five broken ribs, based on Susan's estimate, before chest films. Uh, Carter shows up after finishing a nap-nap to help. Um, <laughs> Susan is called to help a baby with hypothermia that was found in a trash can. So she kind of lets Carter do chest compressions and take over for this guy for a minute while she checks on the baby and let's warm this baby up. Um, Swift steps in to help Susan with the baby so she can go do a thoracotomy on the gunshot victim. So he does a great job of going in and being like, you're busy. You're exhausted. Go back, do the thoracotomy. I've got the baby. Like go cut that dude's chest open. Go cut that dude's chest open. I got this. Yeah. Just a total pro. Like just comes in and directs traffic. Yeah, uh, so, like, we need more of him. 
Yeah. So uh, over in where they're doing the thoracotomy on the gunshot victim, they're having Carter do internal compressions on the heart. So they open up his chest and um, I think it's tag actually who does the like actual opening of the chest. Like he's like, I'm a little rusty on my thoracotomy. So they have to walk him through it. I think he comes in to help just with the general procedure. Cause it's an all hands on deck situation. Right. But when they say it's a thoracotomy, he's like, Oh no, I'm, I'm good. And I think they have Susan. Yeah. I'm 99% sure Susan actually does the thing. He, okay. I think he hands her stuff and like helps with some of the more intricate motions where she might need a, a stronger set of hands. Cause you know, you are cracking open a chest plate, yeah. Sure, but I think I think she's kind of directing traffic. Yeah, you gotta get some uh, gotta get some leverage on the rib spreader there. Tall boy. <laughs> so basically, um, Carter gets to his first chance to do internal compressions on a heart, Uh-oh. and so Carol is, or no, I think it's Susan. Susan is like, all right, yep. reach in there, get your hand, kind of cup around it. I think she said like a gator's mouth was. Yeah, her. she says like a gator. Yeah, because she does the little hand motion, the hand cup. Yeah, and he says it feels like a bag of worms. Yeah, bag of worms. Uh feels like a bag of sand that's not how i envision a heart feeling no yeah not at all so yeah um and then they also have to bust out the internal paddles uh which it's rare that we get to see those but they're always very distinctive they're they're, by their appearance you know they look like little like electric spatulas um (laughs) they just like stick in there and do the thing with uh so i'm sure nurse jen would be proud of that um (laughs) electric spatulas that sounds like a great ska band name and can we please, please just have Michael Ironside through the whole run of the show? I wish. Baby's doing just fine. Susan pops in to check on them, and he's like, go take a breather. You're clearly exhausted. Yeah, don't make don't make Anspa the next chief of staff for the entire hospital after uh, Morgan Stern leaves. Just make him Michael Ironside. It's yeah, fine. let's keep him. Then Carter goes in to sort of check in on Deb real quick, and... Just decides to just rub it in the fact that he got to do an internal cardiac massage. So Ooh. keeping up with their little uh, pissing contest that they have going there. So it's like lottie freaking da, I'm better. Ugh. And then Doug shows back up to Diane's house to screw around a little bit, and he like pops under her blankets, and she goes, "You got 15 minutes. Jake's an early riser." And he giggles and is like, 15 minutes, that's not really my style, but I'll work with it. And they start making out. Weird flex, Doug. But right? Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. We're just bragging now, I guess. Exactly. Um, then a complete tonal shift. We go back to the Chicago L platform. Like uh, we do. Yeah. Mark has never left. And Jen is there and has come find him. So let's listen into their conversation. And I want to point out, it's morning now. Yes. It was the middle of the night when Doug left him. It is morning now. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was about 4 a.m. Okay. when they said they got out of the ER, okay. so it could only have been like two hours. Or... Two or three hours in the Chicago cold. Yeah. No big deal. Either way, no fun. So let's listen in. Mark. Hey. Lovely place to sit around feeling sorry for yourself. It has its charms. Out here. How'd you find me? Doug. He said he'd never seen you so upset. Things just uh, aren't working out the way I planned. Sure they have. You leaving me 
I didn't plan for that. People die, Mark. You do the best you can. You're human. I'm not supposed to be. Sure you are. You're the only one who doesn't know it. What am I gonna do? Could get breakfast. I'll leave him by. Come on. Come on, Mark. This is weird. That is, no, that is such a mood, though. The you're only human line. Yeah, it is. I think it's, I don't know that it's necessarily in character for Mark, though. Like, Mark has never been proven to be, like, have a god complex this whole time. But he's always the person who's been like, I got to work. I got to keep working. You I'm know, everybody's I got, shoulder. Yeah, exactly. I, guess. I got to show. I got to keep, you know, I have to be the guy because I'm the chief resident. I got to be the guy in the ER. Yeah. And I think this whole experience has just really humbled him. And oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely exactly. it's definitely shaken him. There's no doubt about that. I just feel like the, you know, um, you're human, Mark. And he's like, I'm not supposed to be. I feel like that's an out of character thing for him. Like, I feel like. I feel like that's more appropriate from somebody like Benton than it is from him. He's he is good and he probably knows he's good, but he's never like he's never outwardly aware of it. He's never like showy, you know, he's never like I'm the best. It's just he's just steady. He's the one who's always on. And yes, this is the first time he's probably experienced not being on and it's it's hurt him, but I don't know. It's just it, it struck me as odd. I think part of it, too, is he's looking at it, his whole life falling apart. His wife leaves him. These patient, or This patient dies. And all of a sudden, he realizes, my life is not going in the direction or the trajectory I thought it would. I am not living that perfect life I thought I was on my way to living, like, a month ago. And I, I think it just it shakes him. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it definitely does. Because, yeah, we don't really have any sort of, like contacts that like i mean by by all accounts this is his first major 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 i don't want to say fuck up because it was just sort of like a calamity of errors but like avalanche yeah like this is the first time like he's spent like so long with a patient and done so much and because the other patients we've seen him lose he knew they were gonna go yeah exactly i I say lose and just lose in the end just straight up his patient died mm-hmm. after so many things went so wrong, some of which was in his control, some of which wasn't. But, you know, he spent, like, what, like, almost 24 hours with these people? Yeah, at least, like, 18. Yeah. So he really got to know them, and he was like, okay, so, like, if some random trauma victim comes in, just off, you know, off the street, some, just someone who's been shot, or someone who's fallen off a ladder, or something like that, and they're unconscious, and they die, he doesn't know them. He knows them. He named their fucking baby. He did all of this shit with them. He had all these experiences with them over the over the course of the time that he saw them. And I think that's what's truly shaking him to his core here. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's like, no, I need to be perfect. Yeah. Like, she should have lived. Of course she should have lived. I thought I did everything the way I was supposed to. Or at least I did everything to the best of my abilities. And on a completely unrelated note, I have a question. Yeah. Did he get new glasses? Because <laughs> nope. these look snazzier. I think those are the same ones. Oh, maybe I just haven't been staring into Mark's beautiful eyes. Um, Obviously. 
one more thing I want to add real quick. This must be the gen that Mark fell in love with. Yeah, that's the other part I think that's so jarring about it, which I mean, I get that it needs to be like I get that if they're going to have them interact in this low point for him, that it can't be more of the same. It had to be something different to both, you know, empathize with her, like make her more of a sympathetic character and also like not make him want to kill himself. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it would only be, it, it would just be piling on at that point. If you're going to have them interact in the same way that they've been interacting for the last half of a season, but it was, it was weird. I think a lot of that, too, has to do with the fact that it's not that they don't love each other. They finally realize it's not going to work right. and that weight has been lifted. There's yeah, not exactly. That, friction. that is, yeah. yeah. So, it's not like there, so it's not like she doesn't still love him. Or no, he no, no. still love her. But So, like, she's obviously seeing that he's very, that he's in pain. That he's in a lot of emotional pain. So, if you love someone, you're natural reaction is going to want to be to try to offer them some form of comfort some form of solace no absolutely yeah and i mean that's a very true to life sort of depiction there of you know the the whole like putting the sabers down sort of thing of just like it's almost like once you do the hard part of like breaking up then you almost become better friends and all of the things that were wrong are now suddenly don't seem as important you know but because you're you're separating but i just mean from the perspective of us as the audience it's kind of jarring to go from the last time we saw them on screen together they were like bitter divorced people where they're like sniping at each other to hear they're like you know much more conciliatory much more friendly and it was just a it's just a stark difference we then get Halle waking up susan from a nap in an empty room because hiccup boy's fiance wants to come and talk to her and Hiccup Boy's fiance asks if she might be sick because she thinks that he just has not been honest with her. Ooh. Susan's like, well, we can check, but I don't really know what to tell you. So that's kind of how that storyline wraps up. So we're going to wrap up with Peter now, uh, Benton, uh, going to visit Jeannie at her house. And we finally get to see Al Boulay in the flesh, kind of, because this is weird. So I knew that there were two actors who played Al. I was just under the impression that it was a more of a, like, I don't know, I would say, like, 80-20 split between, like, 20% first Al and 80% second Al. This is the first and only appearance of first Al, which I just oh. thought was really, really strange. But first Al, <laughs> I guess, as we'll christen him, um, is played by a guy with just another A-tier name. Wolfgang Bodison is his name. And um, the only notable thing on his IMDb that I saw was that he uh, was in A Few Good Men. Um, but yeah, this is the one and only appearance of, of First Al. We will get Second Al from here on out, who looks nothing like First Al. And he's played by an actor named, I think, Michael Beach is his name. And he'll be, he will play the character of Al until that character is no more. But Peter tells, you know, he's coming in hat in hand, basically, tells Jeannie she was right owns up that you know he can't he, he's basically reached the you know acceptance phase of the grieving process where he's you know owns up that he can't take care of mama benton and he's afraid of what might happen to her if he keeps going the way he's going and he asked Jeannie to look for some places for her to permanently be put in a home where she can you know get the kind of care and and attention that she needs which is kind of a dick move i guess because hasn't jackie been doing all that research all along and as presum yep. presumably has all this stuff outlined and he's just like nah i'm gonna ask my like you know hot doctor friend if she can help me out dick move yep. dick move peter yeah he's full of them and then 
we get Carol and Susan one last time for the episode, and Carol says every full moon should be a ladies' night, and Carol asks Susan if she wants to be a bridesmaid. Susan says yes, and Carol says, well, wait till you see the dress before you tell me yes. <laughs> um, and I already mentioned, I'm sad we didn't see Lydia at all this episode, even though I apparently thought she and Doug were having a tryst. <laughs> and randomly, we get we cut back to Dr. Swift. He's repairing a the goddamn bathroom sink bottle by himself. Like, like he's apparently he got frustrated with maintenance taking so long, which good luck with that, man. So he decided to just take off some of the pipes and finds out that some of the bolts and stuff are stripped. And he's just, it reminds me of that parks and rec episode where Ron goes to the Halloween party at Andy's house. And he just spends the entire party going around the house, fixing things. (laughs) He's dressed as like a pirate or something and he's going exactly. around fixing their shower and fixing their sink and a little bit of an oddball move, but Hey, if he, if he gets it done, he gets it done. And Susan actually gives him a, a nice idea to actually, instead of taking the whole damn pipe off, uh, to just use, uh, drain snake. Yeah. Just use a drain snake. And he's like, Oh, I didn't think of that. Do you think that would be first move? I but... love, I love how she's like, like a, um, she compares it to a medical terminology to like help like you're him. Oh something. yeah, like yeah. it's an angioplasty. Yeah, just yes, angioplasty to get the gunk no, no, out. No endoscopy. Endoscopy. Well, no, because she talks about like scraping. Yes. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Ange- okay, yeah. Scraping it out, like yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the arteries. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. Angioplasty. Um, but it's very cute. But also during when they're talking, he asks if she's thought about applying for chief resident. You know, because he's shocked to learn that she's only a second year resident. So he would have thought that. I guess he would have thought that she would be more uh, with her experience and poise and just general demeanor that she would be a little more, a little more experienced. So, Hey, good on Susan for actually being one of the only people to make a good impression on him this episode. For sure. And then we go back to the nurse's station. They're all chit chatting and Carter and like, they have the radio on little like medium volume. And we hear, uh, the the DJ go like, oh, and here is Twist and Shout for Susan. And Carter, like, elbows her and is like, hey, hey for you. And um, Carter, Susan, and Carol start boogieing down together and dancing next to the nurse's station. And I ship Carter and Susan so hard. This is all so cute. I want to die. It's such a strange way to wrap up the episode. But did I miss the significance of the song? Is there a reason he picks Twist and Shout? No, not to my knowledge. Yeah. No, it's like you said, it's a weird end to a weird episode. It's just cute. Like I said, weird episode, but a good weird. And I think it was a nice uh, palate cleanse after the intensity of last week's episode. Yeah, you just just we just need to just need to reset everything. And just, you know, it's it's okay to have fun again. It's okay to like not everything has to be super serious all the time. But it does it does it in a way that you don't undermine the severity of what like they don't have mark dancing around and doing this shit like they don't like undercut what they just did but they do show you that it's okay to laugh again and i think that's important all right well that's gonna about wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening as always you can find us on twitter we are at set the tone er we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast. And we are at setting the tone podcast on Instagram. You can also support this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. Help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, uh, including a special season recap episode, which we should be recording here 
before long next it's coming month. up yeah it's coming up next month already we only have five episodes left in the season so yeah and also a monthly bonus show where we talk about whatever's going on for us in that moment with pop culture current events movies we've seen our theme music today was provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that's Y-O-U dot E-L. Uh, you can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, that I host with my co-host Jake Terrell. We're doing a different pop culture topic each week, putting it through a little mock trial. Um, not 100% sure where we're going to be in our release schedule by the time you hear this, um, but I'll give a plug to his let's play series that he's been doing on our youtube channel uh he's going through dark souls currently and he's got a couple other games in the uh the backlog ready to go for when we finish up dark souls so jump on that train now and lauren where can folks find you at folks can find me manically tweeting about tom nook memes and how much longer until animal crossing new horizons at my twitter lobob92345 uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. Uh, thank you again very much, for everyone, for listening. Uh, please join us again next week for episode number 21, and have a great week. <laughs>